0: Wine educators frequently promise to demystify wine, to explain the inexplicable. Demystification seems to always be a well-intended mission, but there are other things to consider. A mystery is a hidden or secret thing. It arouses curiosity, suspense, or speculation. Mysteries tempt us into their lair. They seduce us like a novel we can't put down, or a suspense movie that we never want to end. Welcome to Grape Encounters, where we confidently offer a wealth of insight and answers about wine and the lifestyle it engenders. But we also give you plenty to ponder, experience, and engage the imagination. So, while demystification certainly has its place, The real magic is in the mysteries, and they should be experienced, not explained. Don't worry, you'll learn plenty on this journey, but our paramount objective is to make sure you have an unforgettable grape encounter. Now it's time to raise your tray table to the upright and locked position.
1: Every weekly grape encounter and you know uh, there's a movie i haven't thought about for a really long time until today it is a dustin hoffman film i think it was actually might have been his first film i think it's called little big man and there's a line in the film that i love which is it's a good day to die And for me, this is a very good day to die, not because it's been a bad day, but because it's been a very good day. I don't know how I could top the day that I'm having right now, because I am on my home turf in Paso Robles, and I'm at a place that I have only visited once, and I am with some folks that I've been dying to sit down and talk to and haven't had the chance until today, and they have wined me, they have dined me, and I hope that they will confine me to where I am right now, which is down in the cellar and we are at La Cuvier right now with the founder and owner John Munch. That name is very appropriate given just how much we've consumed today. I'm not talking about alcohol, but the food alone was just too much to believe. And Clay Selkirk here, his title is all around cowboy. John, I can't even thank you for welcoming me here today. That's no lie, by the way. This is one of the top three to do things I would do in our area here. It's and been
2: our pleasure. Absolutely
1: really, really appreciative of it. And I'm going to probably sound like I'm kissing your bottom. Okay, (laughs) I really am. But I just had the best wine pairing followed by the most extraordinary meal. And now we're down in the cellar surrounded by a lot of very very old and
2: wonderful wines this is the library right library goes back to 1981 which was the first wine i made and i think at this point we have what about 7500 bottles in here
3: yes and
2: holy it, smoke so every vintage other than the ones we drank we virtually have every wine that either i or clay have made and we usually would hold back in a range of four cases of each wine and that allows us to find out how it's evolving and occasionally we will allow a few bottles to be sold and available to our club members.
1: So it sounds like a lot of wine, but when you get right down to it, I mean, you do this kind of stuff all the time, so that stuff can be liquidated pretty quickly, right? Yeah, we don't.
2: Use the library as much as we could or should sometimes because we get down here, and we get befuddled. But otherwise, I don't know. It's not the main thing. People don't see it as opposed to upstairs where you were. They don't really see this. But when they see this, they want to come down and do a dinner down here yeah. or some other special tasting. So 7,500 bottles. is Roughly, that I think on? it holds around 9,000 total. I it
1: used is. to have a wine cellar that had 4,000 bottles. But then I also had a wife who took me to the cleaners. <laughs> and she apparently took the 4,000 bottles to the cleaners.
2: With
1: her. <laughs> yes. And, and you know what? She had a good sense of humor because when I finally recovered my house, there was a case of two buck chuck sitting on the table. Oh, that was mean. That was pretty mean, right? Yes. So I'm glad to be in here right now. But no, this is super lovely. But I want to talk a little bit about you and your background and just your attitude, really, because you are really a Renaissance man. In every sense of the word, you aren't just a guy who makes wine, you're just about every aspect of it. It's It's not just the wine, it's not just the food, it's the music, it's the ambiance, it's just everything
2: that is associated with making wine great. It's providing the environment both for the wine to make itself is one way I look at it, but then when you consume the wine with friends, meals, whatever, it's again trying to create the ambiance for that as well wine on its own can be very very intriguing very good but it really reacts to the environment and the mood of the moment it reacts to friends it reacts to what the weather is doing and it certainly reacts to the kind of music playing in the background in switzerland they have a wind they call the bees and when the bees comes through around the area in geneva it sort of floats in that whole area where it's all blocked in by the alps and whatnot suicide rate goes up like crazy and Pinot noir awful you know, but, you know and you sit there and say is it really that that's going on is it the individual taster's psyche if you will or is there something that really goes on with the change in the weather the low pressure high pressure whatever that causes the wine to actually not come across now we notice it, i think when we're down tasting from the barrel there are days when a given wine it just Phenomenal, And other days, what happened? Where did it go? So wine moves and changes. And what's not really sure is is if it's really changing the wine or if it's the perceiver that's changing or if it's a combination of the two.
1: So this is such a really, really important point because I've seen this happen a gazillion times and I've heard this from people many, many times that they'll go and they'll do a wine tasting weekend and they'll come home and they filled up the back of the car with wine. And then they finally get around to that evening where they're going to break open one of those cases that they bought and the husband comes home he's had a terrible day at work the wife's maybe been at home with the kids and they're running around and they're breaking things in the house and they just got a really big american express bill and the garbage disposal <laughs> is broken and they go you know honey let's just have some of that wine that we got from le cuvier it wasn't le cuvier, <laughs> okay and so they take the case and they put it on the kitchen table. Underneath the fluorescent lights And there's rap music playing From the teenagers room right now Kids screaming they, Exactly They open up the bottle And they, they go Well this is going to at least Make everything better And
2: then it's like This wine is terrible It's awful They pulled a the switch on us Right? We've also had the kind of thing Where a wine That has been part of a Wine club back That goes out And somebody will open the bottle And say Oh this is awful This is not what I remember And then it sits on the counter And they'll let us know And we might actually get it back Four or five months later later partial bottle they put the cork <laughs> back in and we open it up here and taste it damn that's good you know because it wasn't the wine we want the wine back because we want to know if there's a bad bottle whether it was something that happened in shipping or if somebody came by here and picked it up here did you leave it in the in your trunk at 100 degree day or sitting outside for you know what number of hours if it was well taken care of or if it went through ups or some other form how was the shipping we always will if we're going to ship our club shipment out it's always going to go when the weather's right or yeah. it's going to go with a coal pack in it so that it doesn't get in problem. So if there is a bad bottle, what happened? We want to know. I didn't want to suggest that the bottles in the case were bad. Mine is in yeah. context, right? It's in context, but you have both. You can have a bad bottle, Yes. That's not a problem. You can also have a good wine that doesn't taste very good because of everything. Like you said, the screaming children, the wife that's had a terrible day, the Amex car that's overextended, whatever. And you're sitting there, nothing's going to taste good. It's terrible. That's such an important point. Let me say hello to Clay for a
1: second. We don't have much time before our first break, but Clay, you're the nerve center
3: of this place. Is that about right? Yeah, in a way, you know, for better or worse, John made the mistake of getting me involved in everything in the business. So in being apprenticed under him, slowly but surely, I guess he just conned me into starting to guide the rest of the business at large and, and our upstairs consumer-facing employees.
1: So you've had a chance to review the will, I, I suppose, John's will? Oh yeah, I saw it. It's, it's in ancient Greek and it's written <laughs> backwards with a mirror. So talk to us about this place. There are certainly wineries that do what you do, but you've guys take it to a level that is uh, i think rarely
3: seen here food and wine and they've been the cornerstones of that experience that that we give people and we always want to be educators from the moment that uh, guests and members walk in our door we we want to expose them to things that that they've not been exposed to in life or change their opinions of things
1: got to take a little break here talking to Clay Selkirk and Mr. John Munch. Yes. Mr. Munch, I'll tell you, this is the greatest pleasure Mm -hmm. to to be here with you because you are a legend. Oh Well, maybe so, but surrounded by bottles is always fun. It is always. I can't tell you how many times people have said, have you met John Munch? It's like, almost like, have you interviewed God? (laughs) That's how people see you here in this area. Little do they know. (laughs) Little do they know. We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. 12 hand-picked wines for as low as $59? Well, why not? Uncork Adventure with a total wine membership. Get two wines a month for a one-time fee. Their friendly experts pick wines that, wow, they are guides on your expedition to uncover gems that'll make your taste buds snap to attention. So what'll it be? All reds? Only whites? Or do you want to throw sparkling and rosé into the mix? Just pick a plan that's right for you. Go to membership.totalwine.com. Oh, and cheers!
3: Immerse yourself in the breathtaking surroundings that make Oregon a must-visit.
2: Taste unrivaled wines. Indulge in lavish culinary creations. Savor the very best of Oregon. Enjoy time with your guests as you bid on exclusive auction items and wine futures. All to transform health care through Asante Foundation. Join us this August for the Oregon Wine Experience. Visit the com to be part of this unique celebration.
1: If you're a frequent Grape Encounters radio listener, you know that our show is all about inclusiveness. For far too long, wine consumers have felt left out, simply because a small minority of, well, let's call them out, wine snobs have dominated the conversation. For 12 years, it's been my mission to give you, the wine enthusiasts that just want to have fun, A front row seat to everything that's cool about wine. And while we have a very intimate thing going on here, I've been thinking that we can take things where no radio or TV program has gone before. And so beginning next week, I'm inviting you and your friends to get together with me for a private online party. This isn't a big streaming free-for-all event. It's you, me, and your guests. You decide what you want to talk about. We'll set a time. Then it's party time. So email me using the contact form at grapeencounters.com. Tell me a little bit about how we can make this fun for you, and I'll respond to as many requests as I can. Just drop me a note at grapeencounters.com. Encounters Radio, I am at Le Cuvier right now in Paso Robles. And this is just one of those wineries that when you come to the central coast of California, you have to come here. And it's a small producer of extremely, extremely fine wines. But don't let the word fine fool you into thinking pretentious because this is not a pretentious place. These are really super down-to-earth people led by His Highness, John Munch. (laughs) How would you describe yourself, John? You ride motorcycles. Ride motorcycles. Do you wear
2: leather and do you get all nasty looking? Well, a little bit, not too bad. But uh, that and play music and and leave clay to do all the work, hard work, and carry on. Tell me about the music part. It's just always been a passion. Instruments? Uh, Guitar, bass, drums whatever, sometimes a little bit of keyboard. That period in the 60s in San Francisco where I got my training with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and so I I never have been able quite to get over that. So I heard a rumor that you hung out with some pretty well-known people. People say that I played with The Grateful Dead. I didn't. I played with Ron McKern and Pigpen of the Dead before they formed the Dead. And then another guy and I started a group, John Dawson, known as Marmaduke He started right. New Writers of the Purple Sage. Right, yeah. Yeah. And, and sort of a dead offshoot in a way, and we played together. And otherwise, it was just always playing music. Did you ever regret not going full-time into music? No, because most of the people I knew who were in music are dead. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) it's not funny but it's true right and I went to Europe I think I needed to get away from the music it it was probably a good thing
1: tell me what the similarities are between making music and making wine
2: to me the greatest thing that happens in music and it really comes together if you're playing with a few people when you play together often enough and long enough that you get into this kind of zone where I call it a mind melding, where everybody its like jazz often, where you know how to read each other. So the songs are not the same each time, but they just take off and they have the life of their own. It's not this player or that player playing. It's the whole combination. That's one of the great things that, that the Grateful Dead did. And that's why they had such a good following. The songs were never the same, played twice. And with the wines, it's what happens with the winemaking that's similar is if you're working with the grapes and you're allowing the grapes really to express themselves, and we're not using any of the kinds of things that are winemaking, we end up with wines that are like a mind meld in a lot of ways. I had a a friend of mine tell me a number of years ago, I finally get it. The wines have to be happy to be good. The wines have to be be happy. Yeast and other microorganisms are, to me, sentient beings and there are these colonies of critters, if you will, that respond. They respond to the music. They respond to what's going on with the environment, the temperature. I've seen in the past where we would be making wine, and you come into November, December, and into the wintertime, and everything stops fermenting. And the barrels of these wines would be in an environment that's essentially underground, humidity control, temperature control, no light. It's sort of like set environment. But as soon as the buds on trees started to push, bungs would be popping off the barrels. And it wasn't because the temperature had gone up. Okay, hold, hold on a second because some people don't know what that
1: means that bungs are popping off. And yeah, just, you
2: have uh, barrels. Now it's made out of silicon. You have these little things that the hole at the top of a barrel is called a bunghole, by the way. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you put that in there to prevent air and oxygen from getting into the wine. But then all of a sudden, the fermentation starts to take off again in the barrel. The uh, CO2 gas is being generated by yeast and other microorganisms, which creates pressure. And we'll push out this silicon bung, and that happens with what's going on in the greater spectrum of nature yeah. on the outside. And you're in this almost a hermetically closed environment of temperature, humidity, no light, whatever you want to call it. But all of a sudden, they know it's time to become active again, and that's that's magic to me. It's just absolutely magic. Have you ever been inadvertently struck by a wayward bung? Uh, yes, but it wasn't from the barrel being pushed out. <laughs> it was just by somebody getting pissed off. Your wife, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) exactly (laughs) so let's talk
1: yeast for a second okay because i think yeast is something that i'm going to guess 99.99 percent of consumers don't think about yeast and wine they might have have
2: a little bit of knowledge of of, say bubbly yeah and one of the things that came serendipitously if you will i started to do what i call a wild yeast fermenting by mistake in the early 80s but that can get to really long story but to, to cut to the chase there's this fellow that you may know of harold mcgee okay He's written a book called Science and Lore of Food in the Kitchen, I think. He, He took a look at how food was made, where it came from, why eggs do this, why you want to use a tough cut of meat and not a filet for making a stew, etc. He was going in and scientifically looking at it and saying, is this an old wives tale or does this have merit? You salt the water when you're simmering uh, vegetables that make them thaw- Yeah, thaw- interesting. Thaw- yeah. yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And he had this one section or has this one section on, on wine and, and beer making and to paraphrase fairly closely, he said the wine you're holding in your hand in the glass did not come from the grapes that were used to make that wine. And I said, what the heck is he talking about? And then he said, what you're holding in the Glass is the evolution of those grapes via uh, these microorganisms yeast being the primary one another and then bacteria etc what came from that and it started to make sense it also made sense of why wine from this area that Napa versus Paso Robles versus France will taste different all else being equal even though it's the same grapes yeah, same okay. grape yeah. and everything yeah. the same winemaker etc they'll taste different because the composition of the grape is different but the thing that really struck me is if you use a single yeast variety which is the norm you get one expression in just the grape yeast and without getting geeky technical Saccharomyces there's thousands of variants of which are maybe a, I think a couple hundred have been isolated and are available but most areas is one or two. Saccharomyces is just one of these biotypes, and I think there are a couple hundred different biotypes, each of which has thousands of variants. So you have all of these incredible number of microorganisms that are making the wine. I'll go ahead and, and swing back to the first experience that I had with where the yeast really had the impact. Okay. This was in the uh, mid-'80s, and I was trying to find out what was the best yeast to use when making Chardonnay. Now, you could get yeast that was called Montrachet from Montrachet, France, or you get stuff from UC Davis. So we had Chardonnay that we pressed the grapes, the juice went into this tank to get cold and settle, and then we went into uh, barrels because we were doing barrel fermentation. When we started to go back and taste there it was just one pair of barrels that was far and away way far and away the best. And when we went to look, the mark that I put on was on the yeast packs that were kept in the lab where, you know, we were to go back and look, I hadn't opened that one. I must have gotten fo- called to the phone or something, just didn't put the damn yeast in the barrel.
1: Wait a second. so what you're telling me is
2: is that the best one there was no yeast even put in the barrel. No, it was the best one was what happened coming out of the vineyards and out of the air and it what was very dust. It was very dust. The next year, I did a bit more, but purposefully. The year after that, I don't think that was that was the last year that I bought yeast, would have probably been something like 1987. That's really fascinating. If you think of the beers, the Trappist, everything you hear if you're a beer maker, you must sterilize, you must do this, you must do that. And then you look at the Trappist beer, it's up in the attic where the bats are into it. And it's open fermentation and whatnot with every kind of of considered uh, pathogen. Wait, wait, are we talking about fat food here? Oh well, it's anything that's going into it. What's happening is that it's open to fat. Fermentation for their beers, but there's this character that comes out of that that you cannot get making. I don't need to be disrespectful, but trying to make it like Bud, you know, it just has uh, it has all of this wonderful stuff that goes I, on. I, I hear you. Well, we're gonna have to take a break, and
1: and, and we're going to. Uh, I think uh, we're gonna have a little bat poop organ John Munch, he's got it wired. Just let let it fall from let the, it happen. Let it fall from the sky, and you'll have the best wine around. It's just weird, right? That we we make things complicated, don't we? We have a tendency. Okay, let's not make this complicated. We'll be back with more from La Cuvier. We are in the Paso Robles wine country of the Central Coast of California, the Golden State.
0: free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. And for bakers, M.M. Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and, of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Fling into spring at Total
1: Wine & More, where fresh flavors are in full bloom. We're talking Rieslings and Rain Boots, Bubbly and Brunch, Pinot on the Porch anyone? No matter what's on your table, we have the wine and the savings to go with your menu. Sauvignon Blanc plays nicely with smoked salmon, Bacon practically begs for Chardonnay. And which Rose are you feeling today? We surely have a shade to match. Brighten up your glass with fresh cocktails, Rose Prosecco makes for a beautiful twist on a mojito. Or. Mix up your sangria with a spritz of berry seltzer. With over 8,000 wines, 4,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers to choose from, you can expect the unexpected, always at the best prices in town with the best service in America. What'll it be today? Choose curbside pickup, in-store pickup, shipping or delivery. Explore more in-store or at
0: TotalWine.com. We're back with more Grape Encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on grapeencounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider, enough said. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson.
1: I'll tell you guys what is really nice is to actually be out in the field again I'm actually not in the field I'm in the wine cellar right at the moment but it's it's just nice to be out in the field because for a long long time we've been having to do these zoom interviews and finally things are opening up and what a better place to be than in your own backyard And one of the really historic parts of Paso Robles I might add It all kind of began here, and we are with uh, John Munch right at the moment at La Cuvier, which is just an amazing, amazing place. Why Paso Robles for you? You grew up in Central America. Yeah, I was born in Costa
2: Rica, grew up throughout Central America, came to the States to school after eighth grade, a part of the banana uh, mess down there. And we'd come up to the States in the school. Ended up coming to boarding school in California. I went to Europe after all the music stuff we talked about and spent about four years working there. Came back, I think I was a C. I started college in 62, and when I went to Europe in 67, in terms of credits, I was like in the first semester of my sophomore year with about a, a D minus grade point average. I was not what would be known. So you were a good student. I was yeah, a good yeah, student, yeah. But when I came back, I uh, loved being up in the Bay Area, uh, what was going on there. But I'm from a small little area. I never wanted to be in agriculture, but I was doing Victorian renovation while I was finishing up college. And I came down here because there was a friend from the south of France, an Englishman, who said, John, you got to come down here. This reminds me of uh, being in Provence, uh, but instead of the olive groves, it's the almond orchards and does and, and, and going toward the coast. And I came down here and it just, I really fell in love with what's going on with the land, bought property here, not thinking at all about wine. I lived on the other side of the cork in those days uh, and fell in love with it and decided I was going to make... hold on a second what does that mean live on the other side of the uh, cork? I drank the wine rather than just made it you know, oh okay <laughs> okay, you know, okay okay I got gotcha, you so... all right okay and I was going to just do as a general contractor do these specialty houses which I really enjoyed doing I do windows doors and all that nonsense but I had a group of friends or people the acquaintances from champagne they contacted me to look at where they might find the place to buy property to do grapes for a champagne operation, and we were looking everywhere, and I was here living in Paso Robles, and ultimately when we looked at the analysis of the grapes here, it was almost perfect, even though it does not represent anything in terms of what you'd expect from Champagne France. But the way the grapes grew through the level of maturity that is necessary for making a champagne, they were, like, absolutely perfect. And what one thing led to another. Here I am with a degree in Old English, which is, serves no purpose whatsoever. Why did you do that? Old English? Yeah. I wanted to find out more about the language and how it was working. And going. I kept going further. And further
1: or practice. did you just want to work at the Renaissance Fair during the summertime?
2: Well, I ultimately found out that I'd have to get a doctorate and teach. And so it <laughs> yeah, totally useless, in other words. Okay. And next thing I knew, I was making their sparkling wine. Champagne, And I'd started Adelaide of Sellers. And the house that's here on this property was the house that I was setting up, building as a spec home. And I started that in 1978. And it didn't get finished until my partner, Mary, and I got together in the early 2000s. You know how sometimes there's wise in the road?
1: You do realize your life is confusing, right? You grew up in Central America. And you've got friends from Champagne who want you to search a little-known area in California to grow grapes. None of this makes sense. It and you're learning Old English. Yes. Okay. That, that's perfect. Okay. Let's hand it back to Clay for a second. What have you, you learned from all this?
3: Uh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree or I didn't <laughs> learn anything. I was just as confused, I guess. Yeah, Wait, it's, like, I, it's that's that's the word confused. You've we been with
1: confused. you've been with this man for a long time. Are you? Do you have a, a hard time wrapping your arms around his life because it's kind of an interesting history? But a funny thing about it is is that, and you probably would agree with this, I think that people in the wine business, this is not an uncommon kind of a thing where they are just hitting on all kinds of different cylinders, but with different
3: engines. Would you say? Yes, I didn't take a normal path. John didn't. A lot of my contemporaries did not as well. Tell us yours. (laughs) Somewhat similar to John, I had some background because my dad was, he was a home winemaker for years and years, and eventually it became a business. I wanted nothing to do with that. I was a kid. This is really dumb. You know, my dad... He was a general contractor. He made me work hard, a lot of manual labor. I worked out in the vineyards. This is hard work. This is not a good idea. Did you have acres of vineyards or just a very small plant? Acres of vineyards that I planted and worked on less than an acre on the home property. So can't say much there. Very, very small production at the little family winery. But I escaped. I said, the heck with this. I don't want to become a general contractor. And this wine thing seems like a lot of work. So I'm going to go get my education and be smart about it, but I ended up following my passion somewhat like John I wanted to be Indiana Jones
1: he looks more like Indiana Jones than he does so, he's got yeah. the hat yeah he's got the hat and everything right yeah, yeah exactly
3: again I'm confused I'm somewhere in between the beach bum and the local rancher sort around here so I,
1: I think if you want to meet interesting people meet people in the wine industry because they come from just all kinds of interesting walks of life but there's something I wanted to ask you guys because you have your background in contracting as well John does and John John, you with Victorian homes, I have said this for a really long time, that the best winemakers are the people who came from other industries where they deal in minutiae, the really fine details. And that would certainly describe a Victorian home, would it not? Yeah. So what is that about exactly?
2: I guess what, what it comes down to is, and I don't mean to diss the educational process for enology and viticulture. It's sort of along the lines, if we get into trouble, we'll call up a friend that it has a degree in enology and knows how things really work but if you want to use it as a sort of a, a metaphor if you will you go to a hospital and the food's prepared by a nutritionist The nutritionist knows a heck of a lot about food but you do not want to eat oh uh, what a great nutrition. analogy and, oh yeah and a chef has no care about the nutrition it's all about flavors etc so sometimes, if you will, the science can get in the way of the food. Yeah. I remember just a great line from Julia Child at, at a, a meeting down at uh, some kind of conference at Santa Barbara. She was getting old. She was nodding off as part of the conference. And there's somebody in nutrition as well talking and carrying on. And all of a sudden, Julia nodded awake and she said, the problem with you nutritionists is that you've never learned anything about gastronomy. And then she goes back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of that. On one level, if I were to invest in a winery to make money and make a production of a level that it was a business in a a true sense. I would look for somebody that had a degree in analogy because they could really help the process of making a very good wine and making it work really well. If I'm working with wines the same way that I would of the kinds of wines I want, that I like, then I'm going to want the wines to be different and be this mystery that comes out. To use another analogy and not to diss somebody else, you go to a Denny's. The same menu, the same waitresses and waiters no matter what state you're in. It's all the same. It's familiar, and there's no mystery, and you know what you're getting. Right, exactly. It's perfect. But if you want fine dining, you don't go to Denny's. You go to a place like Bistro Laurent here in town or, or uh, Il Cortile or somebody, someplace like that where the food is being done with somebody with a passion or like our chef. Here, it's passionate about the food and it's not about this thing of making everything the same. So that, in a nutshell, is sort of the analogy, I suppose. So if you go to a chain restaurant and it's a steakhouse, and not to dislike,
1: let's say, a Red Lobster or something. And nothing okay? wrong, with nothing wrong with it. But the lobster is going to taste the same, just like the McDonald's hamburger is going to taste the same from sure. state to state. But with wine, I... T- take it then that you let the grapes speak and the Cabernet
2: this year could be totally different than next year. Grapes come in. We choose when to pick and we're working with the growers. Grapes come in. We destem them, throw them into an open top. No additions of any kind, no yeast, no sulfites, no nothing. We go have a beer. That's it. That's the extent of it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. We are at Le Cuvier. We'll be back in just a second with
1: more in Us Robles, California. Even though I spend almost every waking hour trying to track down all things wine, it takes nearly superhuman powers to keep up with the folks at Total Wine & More. I remember the first time I ever set foot in a Total Wine & More store. My jaw literally dropped to the floor as I tried to comprehend the astonishing wine spirit and beer offerings that were suddenly at my fingertips, wonderfully organized for super easy navigation. How do they pull off such an amazing feat? Well, it all comes down to an incomparable team of experts that constantly searches every corner of the world for amazing products priced so you can enjoy them on any occasion. Total Wine doesn't just sell the same old same old, they're always busy forging relationships with outstanding producers on every continent so that they're able to provide exceptional wines that are exciting and new to you at incredible savings new discoveries must-have favorites and more than eight thousand wine choices that you can even explore from home on your laptop or phone explore total wine in whatever manner suits you best in person or if you've come to enjoy that curbside experience you can order online at totalwine.com and pick up your wine in the store or just outside if a contactless experience is your preference. And make sure to check for special opportunities that are always plentiful at TotalWine.com. There are always plenty of reasons to get excited about your next Total Wine experience.
0: We like to talk about wine. Words can be very confusing. When you're crazy, people say that you're nuts. But what if you're crazy about Nuts? Well, that doesn't mean that you should be sent to the funny farm. It means that you should be sent to the farm of MM Organics, the producers of organic heirloom walnuts and walnut products that are so incomparably unique and delicious other nuts will be reduced to wallflowers. Whoops! There we go with those crazy meanings of words again. After all, if being a wallflower means disappearing into the background, then why does being a walnut from MM Organics mean standing out from the rest? Confused? Well. You won't be when you discover the glorious deliciousness of walnut halves, baking pieces, fair trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and other scrumptious walnut products from MM Organics. Learn more and order yours at mmorganics.com, where you'll also find our utterly irresistible two-horse Portuguese dessert wine that everyone goes nuts for. Get crazy at mmorganics.com. Fling into spring at Total Wine and More, where fresh
1: flavors are in full bloom. We're talking Rieslings and rain boots, bubbly and brunch. Pinot on the porch anyone? No matter what's on your table, we have the wine and the savings to go with your menu. Sauvignon Blanc plays nicely with smoked salmon. Bacon practically begs for Chardonnay. And which rosé are you feeling today? We surely have a shade to match. Brighten up your glass with fresh cocktails. Rosé Prosecco makes for a beautiful twist on a mojito. Or mix up your sangria with a spritz of berry seltzer. With over 8,000 wines, 4,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers to choose from, you can expect the unexpected, always at the best prices in town with the best service in America. What'll it be today? Choose curbside pickup, in-store pickup, shipping or delivery. Explore more in-store or at TotalWine.com. kid who's about to have to leave Disneyland, I don't want to go home. (laughs) I'm having way too much fun at Le Coupier in Paso Robles. And we're wrapping it up here now. You know, there's so much interesting history behind this place and behind these people. You know, it's nice because when we take a break, John walks out for a little bit, John Munch, and then I get to talk a little bit to his sidekick here, Clay,
3: who is the, well, I
1: guess we call you the general manager, right? Is that fair enough? But yes,
3: that's my technical title. So fair enough, general manager, winemaker, but everybody calls me the all-around cowboy. So talk to us a little bit about the products here because we've
1: referenced some of the wines, but can you just give me the broad spectrum, not just of the wines, but what you guys do here. Seriously, this is your commercial time. Yeah. So Le
3: Cuvier, we are wine herds. What we are doing is is we are translating agriculture to glass of wine we are environment creators we're celebrating a place and time and allowing life to happen is really what we're doing and and that goes from the vineyards from our agriculture focus in dry farming is our forte so 90 95 percent of our fruit is dry farmed. that means no irrigation everybody knows that California is going through a drought right now Water is a huge problem. So why can you guys do that? Why is it not a problem for you? Like our wines and and like the food, it's, it's breaking down those preconceptions. People think Paso, people think hot, right? it gets blazing hot here but it also gets very cool at night we have this diurnal temperature change so we'll hit 100 during the days but we'll be in the 50s at night so the
1: diurnal refers to the range between the hottest the coldest moments in the day correct okay
3: and the vines will recover at night and their roots stretch deep 25 30 feet they're tapping into the bedrock they're tapping into the soils our soils are a lot of old ocean floors calcareous limestone based soils. They're really like big sponges. They absorb water and they will hold that water throughout the course of the year. And these vines are pulling that moisture to the surface and they're, that's supplementing that evapotranspiration rate that the, the vines are um, going through during the daytime when it's hot, especially above 95 degrees. Everything's shutting down at that point. So Paso is lucky because it gets so hot, but it also gets so cool that it allows that time for recovery and rejuvenation. Let me jump over to John for a second. First of
1: all, you got a good guy here. Oh right? yeah, yeah. He does all the work. So that's what I wanted to ask you. No irrigation. You're not adding yeast. Are you lazy? Very. I'm sorry to ask you that question, I'm but very lazy. yeah, yeah. I'm OCD. Yeah, well,
2: yeah, you're yeah. He's OCD and I'm
1: lazy. So you you take the easiest way and you end up with the best result. What what is that about? It's
2: uh, using another analogy, and you're a foodie also. You know that uh, you go someplace where the chef fingers the food to death. Yes. It's never as good as if it is just done with a Along the flavors that are there to present themselves. Yes, you do a beautiful display on the plate, but you're not sitting there and just mucking around with it and muddying it up, if you will. So for me, the best possible grapes come from a vine that is in balance with its environment. I mean, each vine with, where it is located, and you have on these uh, hillside uh, vineyards, each vine is pruned to itself, not to some kind of ideal that the yeah. vineyard owner wants. And the vine is trained such that it is going to be in balance to that location so it's not going to be overcropped meaning it's not going to handle too much fruit yeah. and it's not going to be cropped back to the point where it has too little fruit it's finding this balance and out of that you get a healthy vine and you get the highest potential for of uh, for expression within the grape anything you do to that grape you do have to squish it to get the juice to start to go but anything you do to the grape beyond that is going to take away from the potential so the less you do the better the wine we'll bring in the grapes a picking is very important what time and when and where and how. And then we just destem, stem getting the the berries off the stems. It goes into an open-top tank. And as I said earlier, then we just go have a beer. We don't add anything, do anything. After two days, three days, five days, depending, uh, fermentation will be about halfway complete. We drain the juice to barrel down below us as a barrel room. And the wine stays in the barrel for three years up to seven years, depending on what we're doing. And we leave it alone. We're creating an environment for the wine to mature on its own. And we're trying to not do anything to manipulate it. So
1: it seems to me, just my observation from watching this industry, on one hand, I want to say it's it's getting, wine is getting simpler and more basic. But on the other hand, it's more complicated. Is it growing into two very separate arenas right now? Because And the reason I say this is because There are more and more people like you who are taking a much lighter touch and a more naturalistic way of making wine. But then on the other hand, there's this science and technology of wine that's very, very complex. Are these two segments that are growing further and further apart? And 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 do you like those guys?
2: Oh, yeah. You do? I think that they do phenomenal work. And I think I mentioned earlier when I have French uh, winemaking friends who come over, what I'll often do just out of being nasty is I'll get a bottle of Gallo of one of their largest production of wines, Hardy Burgundy, and I'll pour it and the the French will sit there. Oh, that's not bad. And then I'll tell them this is the world's largest winery making this wine with the cheapest grapes in California. And they're doing this in millions of cases and their faces just plummet. In other words, Gallo does alchemy. How they make wines like they do and how they make the wine taste the same year after year after year is total magic. So somebody like a Kendall Jackson, any of the big producers, their market is one where their customers want familiarity. They don't want to be surprised. Right. And our market is like every day's Christmas. We want to be surprised, and our customers enjoy being yeah, surprised.
1: Yeah, surprise me, John. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So they're not antithetical to each other, but it's a different business model, a different type of wine.
1: So... If I told you right now, Gallo guys are here and they got a checkbook, I, I set this up for you. Oh
2: good, good. I'm, I'm, where 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 do I sign?
1: <laughs> John, thank you so much for having me here. And it's it's a, been fun. Way way too much fun. We'll be back with more grape encounters this same time. If you want more information about Lacuvia, and you can buy their wines online, I'm sure.
2: The only place you can get the wines is online or here at the winery itself. Website is lcwine.com.
1: That's easy. Lcwine.com. Just call it L-C. No, it's L, letter L okay. and C. We'll see you guys back here next week. Thanks so much for joining us. This edition of Grape Encounters has been brought to you by Total Wine and More. When Total Wine and More challenged themselves to keep more than 8,000 wines on hand, they pioneered a consumer experience that 99.999% of the population would have thought was impossible. It was an undertaking that I still can't totally get my arms around today. But I've spent many hours of my personal time being that adult kid in a candy store, using my mouse to learn about their extremely affordable top 20 wines of the year, or learning eye-opening details about the iconic winemakers behind Total Wine's Legends of Wine collection. TotalWine.com is an online resource so rich with content it's hard to imagine a more satisfying wine-related experience. Spend all the time you want at TotalWine.com or at your nearest store. Just make sure you're back here with me at this same time next week for another grape encounter.